I want you guys to think of a time in your life when someone offended you. Some of us, it might have been this morning in the kitchen, right? Think of a time when someone offended you. They did or said something hurtful. But here's the kicker. The person was right. Ooh. There was truth in what they said. Maybe they called out your sin and you did not like it. Perhaps they challenged the way that you treat people and that offended you. So think of a time when someone offended you, but they were right. So I'm going to give you about 20 seconds to kind of picture that person. Some of you are like, yep, I know exactly, right? So I'm going to hear, we're going to hear from you guys. So here's my question. How did you navigate your relationship with them after they offended you? Did you fire back at them? Did you draw closer to them? Did you start avoiding them and distancing yourself from them? How did you treat that person after they offended you? The floor is open. And please do not give names. My goodness. Floor is open. Nobody has been offended here. Thank you, Renee. Okay. Okay. At first, she's defensive, but as she kind of lets it settle in, she's more willing to come back to that conversation and address the issue. Okay, good. Thank you. Anyone else? How did you respond when that person offended you with truth? You guys are in deep thought. I see it. Yes. Okay. How did that set with you? How did that set with you? Okay. Okay, wow. So it hurt at first. But you knew, once you were able to kind of step back a little bit, you knew he was right. Anyone else, real quick? We don't like being offended. If you enjoy being offended, you need help. Okay? We don't like being told how to live. We don't like our blind spots being called out. But if we claim to follow Jesus, we do not have the option of not being offended. Because he was very offensive to the people he encountered while he walked on this earth. For the past several weeks, if you haven't been around, we've been diving deep into our series, Jesus, the Bread of Life. And Pastor Bob hit on just a little bit about how offensive Jesus was to the Jews of his time with his radical, inclusive language. He said, for folks who had been told their whole lives that they were God's special people, To have that standing lessened now 
seems like a big offense. You mean uncircumcised, non-Jews are welcome to receive the benefits Christ has to offer? That is a massive paradigm shift. Jesus is offensive to Christians because of how inclusive he is. Amen, that's right. He associated himself with prostitutes, adulterers, corrupt, and greedy tax collectors. He's not outraged or appalled by their sinful views or lifestyle. He just knows that they're lost, and that's exactly who he came for, to seek and save the lost. Jesus was even called a friend of sinners. The religious leaders of his day didn't like that he mingled with such low-life scum. He was too inclusive for their taste. And at the same time, Jesus is offensive to the world because of how exclusive he is. He claims to be the only way to the Father. He alone is the bread of life, and salvation comes only through him. The world finds Jesus too exclusive for their taste. Regardless of who you are, Jesus is offensive. But I want to be clear on something. He's not trying to be. He was not waking up thinking, who can I pick on? I just want to make him so mad. Jesus just embodied grace and truth. And the truth rubs against us quite often. It rubs against our pride and our selfish desires. He is full of love. He's full of grace and truth, and his teachings can be very hard, but he's not mean. He's not mean at all. We're going to dive deeper into this idea of the offensive nature of Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 6, page uh, 1520, I believe, if you're using a pew Bible. So a little context here while you're getting that ready. Jesus had just finished giving a very difficult message for his audience to receive. He claimed to be the bread of life, which is essentially saying, hey, guys, I'm God. Shocker. And that did not set well with a lot of people. And then as Bob kind of hit on last week, the inclusive language of Jesus, that salvation is for all people, that didn't set well with the Jews. So that's where we pick up today. Um, John 6, verses 60 through 69. It says, on hearing it, the, uh, the teaching, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you 
or the Holy One of God. The crowd listening to Jesus felt like you felt when you thought of that person earlier who offended you. Man, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? These are hard words to hear. Can anyone accept Jesus' message here? Verse 61 says, Jesus was aware that his disciples were grumbling. He knew what he said rubbed against their pride, their unbelief, their deceptive ways of operating, and their struggle to accept how inclusive he was. And after dropping truth bombs, Jesus asks, does this offend you? And I love that. It is so gutsy and so bold and so courageous. He's essentially saying, look, I don't care if you're mad at me. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to save you and to show you the way to life. And by the way, I'm the way. Right? Verse 66, he says, it says, from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They stopped following him. And notice what Jesus does not do. He does not say, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was a little harsh with my language there. Will you forgive me? I'll try to be a little nicer next time. He does none of that. He even takes it a step further with his offense. He looks at his 12 disciples, the closest men to him, says, do any of you want to leave me as well? Here's your opportunity. You let people walk away. And one Bible commentator I came across said that he emphasized this was not a gradual decline. Like every now and then some people left. It was an abrupt departure. It was like a stampede of people. A stampede of people quickly moving in the opposite direction of Jesus. Picture that. Hey, there he is. Let's go this way. This guy's too much for me. Far too offensive. If Jesus walked into this church today, took my place, and began preaching, we would be offended by him. If he lived in St. Joe for a while, and we observed his life, all of us would eventually be offended. I have no doubt in my mind. We'd have different reasons for why he rubbed us wrong, but all of us would find something to complain or gripe about. We'd have different, um, sorry, we, we wouldn't approve of maybe how he handled scripture. He'd be too rigid for some of us. He'd be too loose for others. We'd disagree with his agenda, his values, and what he seemed to prioritize. He'd be too inclusive of sinners, and he'd be too exclusive for others of us. We are fools if we think Jesus could be here and that we would not be tempted to walk away from him, just like many of his followers walked away from him when he was here. He came to earth once, and we know how that turned out, right? Religious leaders hated him so much they killed him. Don't think that we would not be offended by him. He is offensive. To eat the bread of life is to be offended. But it's a good type of offense if we let it be. 
I came across a blog response this past week of a guy that wrote, and I've never really been offended by anything about Jesus. Literally, I was like, dude, how can you study his life and his teachings and not find something offensive? That is beyond me. If Jesus has never offended you, perhaps you've never met the real Jesus. I'll say that again. If Jesus has never offended you, maybe you've never met the real Jesus. Think of this way. If there's an area of your life that you have not surrendered to Christ, it's probably because you find it offensive. Who does he think he is to call me to this? And if I'm being honest, guys, I'm a lot more like the religious leaders of Jesus' day than I care to admit. Something that does not seem fair to me is how people who put their trust in Christ in their later years or even on their deathbed can still experience the eternal glory of being with Jesus forever in heaven. That's the first time I've ever vocalized that to anyone, but I find that offensive. I mean, I followed Jesus almost my entire life and tried to submit to his lordship. And yet God's love is so scandalous and so inclusive that people who lived basically however they wanted and could put their faith in Christ on their deathbed can still reap some of those same benefits that I'll get to reap. That mindset is like the older brother, the story of the prodigal son right? The younger son runs away, steals the inheritance, spends all his money on women and wild living. And yet the father throws a party for him when he comes back, but the older son is resentful. God, I've been faithful and obedient all these years. Father, I have submitted to you. And yet this younger brother of mine who's an awful person comes and you throw a party for him? Why don't you celebrate me like that? It didn't seem fair. It was offensive. Think about the criminal on the cross, a criminal. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where do we get the idea that we are the arbiters of fairness? That we are the arbiters of justice? So I've got some work to do, okay? I've got some work to do in allowing God to help me accept his inclusivity and his grace that extends far beyond my logic in my reasoning, because the world that I live in does not work that way. You get what you earn, okay? But in God's kingdom, you get what you receive. And to those of us who choose to receive Jesus Christ, they are on level ground with me and with you. My self-righteousness and pride need to die. I know for sure. So, that's my junk. That's one thing of many that I find offensive about Jesus. Let's hear from you. How has Jesus offended you? Probably not a question you think about too often. What have you found most offensive in your relationship with Jesus? What is it about him that just rubs against your pride, your greed, your desire for control? What is it about Jesus you found most offensive? The floor is open. Okay, that if you thought a sinful thought, then it's, yeah, that's, yep, 
If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her. Woo! Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, good. Quiet. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a tough one to think of loving God more than our kids. That's a tough one to wrestle with. Yes, say amen. It's offensive that we have to still keep forgiving our kids or anyone that hurts us, for that matter. Yeah, like why they hurt me? Can I just be? Can I just hold on to this bitterness? Right. Yeah. Anyone else? Somebody back there. Thank you. Yeah. It's hard to be still and do nothing, especially when we're a busybody or we need to prove ourselves or right. Yeah, we got a busy agenda. We got stuff to do. Good. Not good, but thank you. Yeah, just offensive that it's a level playing field, that sin is sin. Yeah, yeah that's good. Thank you. Maybe you're here thinking this offensive talk is a bit much, and you're thinking, but Justin, Jesus is so loving and kind. Absolutely. Absolutely he is. I would never disagree with that. In fact, I would say that one of the reasons he can offend us is because we know how much he loves us. Think about it. When someone offends you, but you don't know where you stand with that person, that's just mean and cruel. Okay? But when someone offends you and you know that they love you deeply, that's the type of offense that can lead to a transformed life if we let it. If we're willing to humbly Swallow those hard words and examine it. Go to God, right? The book of Proverbs hits on this idea a little bit. Um, chapter 27. It says, you can trust a friend who corrects you, but kisses from an enemy are nothing but lies. You can trust a friend who corrects you. Some translations say, um, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If we claim to follow Christ, we should know, hopefully, how deeply he loves us. He is our advocate and our savior, and he calls us friends. And when he wounds us with his words, it's for our good. We should be able to receive it and lead to healing and growth if we're confident and secure in where we stand with him. Chosen, adored, loved. Perhaps you're wondering how this plays out in our lives and our relationships. What does this look like? Well, let me ask you this. What friends do you have in your life willing to wound you? What friends do you have in your life who are willing to wound you with their words so that you can repent, heal, and become more like Christ? If you don't have friends who are willing to lovingly rebuke you when you're wrong, 
or when you're acting in sinful, unhealthy ways, then maybe it's time to question who your friends are. Or, and this is the harder one, maybe it's time to consider if you're distancing yourself from people who challenge you. Do you tend to avoid people who are willing to confront you in love? If so, why? Some of you are smiling. My wife's smiling over there. Why? Why do so many of us do that? And I want to give you guys a word of caution here, okay? Listen closely. Not everything people say to you, even Christians, is absolute truth. I have heard Christians say some wacky stuff to me, thinking that they were right. I would go so far as to say not only was it not biblical, it was complete lies. They thought they were speaking like the gospel to me, and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That is like the opposite of how Jesus operates. So just because someone confronts you with a hard word, it doesn't mean it's absolute truth. I'm not saying there's no truth into it, but here's what you need to do. This is a good practice to get into. Take those things to God and say, hey, my friend brought this to my attention. Is this something I need to examine? Is there even just a little bit of truth here that I really need to look at and repent and own and apologize for? Do I need to make things right with someone? Let God be the, vi- the final voice of authority in your life when you're trying to figure out how to navigate wounds from a friend. And I love this quote I came across, short and sweet, by uh, Joe Rigney. He said, embracing Jesus despite the hard sayings is the mark of those who are truly seeking Jesus for Jesus. Many people following him in John 6, we're going to go back to John here in a minute, they wanted him to keep performing miracles. They followed him because they thought he was going to keep multiplying bread. Literally, they thought, man, this guy's going to keep feeding our stomach. We're good. Let's just go where he goes. They wanted that physical bread, but when he said, I am the bread of life. They discovered, ooh, this guy's not going to be our butler. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I want to keep hanging around this guy. Jesus, the bread of life, is not a buffet. We don't pick and choose which parts of him we like and which parts of him we don't like, okay? It's everything or nothing. So like that quote said, are you seeking Jesus for Jesus? Or are you seeking him because you think he'll make your life easier or because you want to feel good about coming to church or for some other motive that has nothing to do with Jesus? Turn with me a few chapters over to John 13. I believe it's page 1535. Could be wrong, but somewhere around there. John 13. So Jesus is having little context here. He's having his final meal, the Last Supper, with his disciples. It's the night before his death. And what we're going to read about is what happened to Judas right before he uh, he betrays Jesus. So John 13, verses 27 through 30. It says, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, 
do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. As soon as he took the bread, he went out. Judas spent three years traveling with and being intimately associated with Jesus. And he took the bread, but it was not the bread that Jesus was offering. Jesus' bread was the bread of self-sacrifice. Judas' bread was likely the bread of greed, for a desire, wanting power. We don't know his heart, but it was certainly contrary to the bread Jesus was offering. He completed the act of receiving the physical bread from him, but he did not receive Jesus for who he is. He took the bread and it was night. And this is referring much deeper than just it being evening time, okay? One Bible commentator said it was a far blacker night in the soul of Judas than in the sky over his head. It was night symbolizing the darkness that was about to take control of Judas's soul. The devil had begun in that moment his work to take out the savior of the world. It was indeed. Are you receiving Jesus for who he really is? Loving and offensive. Or are you just receiving parts of him that appeal to you, that demand the least of you, or maybe help you just feel better about yourself? Jesus says something pretty profound in Matthew eleven six. He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does that mean? Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who is not offended by me. Think of what our heart posture and our perspective have to be in order to not be offended by Jesus. When we acknowledge him as the king and ruler of our lives, we won't be offended when he demands us to die to our selfish desires. When we daily remind ourselves of the lavish love we've received, we won't be offended when he tells us to forgive our enemies because they have the right to receive grace and forgiveness just like us. Essentially, the only way to not be offended by Jesus is to die to your wants, desires, and agenda for your life. And when you're living like that, Jesus says, you are blessed. That is the way to life. And we're going to begin to wrap up by where we started. Go back to John 6, just a few pages, if you can. John chapter 6, again. So when the large crowd, remember, the stampede of followers of Jesus started moving in the opposite direction, he asked his 12 disciples, do you not want to leave? You do not want to leave too, do you? Here's how Peter responded, John 6, 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One 
of God. Is that how you approach Lord, to whom, whom shall I go? God, I have tried everything else, and it has not satisfied. Look at what the psalmist wrote, chapter 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There might be seasons in your journey with God where you are confused about what is going on in the world, what is going on in your life. There will be times where you look back and think, dude, following Jesus looks nothing like I kind of had in mind when I signed up, right? And in those moments, it is critical that we are able to recall God's faithfulness throughout the longevity of our lives. Perhaps you've heard of Ebenezer stones. It's a really goofy, goofy word. It has nothing to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer stones, they're memorial stones God's people set up to remember acts of his goodness. So they'd set them up in these spots and then they'd encounter them at different times as they were traveling and they can look back. Oh my That stone is a reminder of what I went through five years ago and God was faithful. And that stone 50 years ago, God met me there. He got me through that. That was a dark season in my life, but God, you walked with me through the suffering. What stones or altars do you have in place that help you reflect and look back on God's faithfulness and his goodness throughout your journey of following him? Kind of makes me think of Job from the Old Testament. His life completely imploded. Suffering that none of us have even remotely come close to experiencing. And in the midst of it, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Everything else is a complete disaster, but this I know, my Redeemer lives. And guys, as we come to the communion table today, we engage in an ancient Christian practice that symbolizes literally and partaking Jesus, the bread of life. Will you receive him today as he is, not as you want him to be? If Jesus never answered another prayer of yours or mine for the rest of our lives, we've still came out way ahead of what any of us deserved because of his life, death, and resurrection. Is that your mindset? Or are you trying to follow Jesus with some hopes that he'll fix your circumstances? He is not concerned about fixing your circumstances or changing them. He is concerned about changing you. Receive the bread of life today simply because he's worth it. Put agendas aside and let's bow our knee to the only king worth bowing to. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray for us here in a minute. The ushers will dismiss you by row. You can take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And if you need a gluten-free option, we have that on this uh, far side as well. Let's pray together.